0: First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 12 is what we're looking at today. Next week we're going to look just at one verse, more than likely, verse 13. And so the next couple of weeks what we're studying is we're studying this issue of temptation in the life of a believer. And so this morning's message is more on the negative aspects of temptation and the consequences that come to our lives when we give in to temptation And so today's more of a negative focus on temptation and the consequences of it. And then next week, we look at the positive uh, uh, good news about temptation, which is verse 13. And so I hope that you'll be back for both sermons here in this little mini-series on temptation. Because the reality is, everybody take your index finger on your right hand and point it at you real quick. We all need this sermon, don't we? Every single person in this room preacher included. And by the way, I hope y'all know that this guy up here ain't preaching what he's preaching today because he's 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 tackled all this and he doesn't have any struggles. He doesn't have any issues, folks. I am just like you are. I'm I am your brother in Christ, and so I am growing in grace right along with you. And so we all need this message today. I hope that our hearts will be receptive for what God has for us today here in this message. And so this message and the one next week is all about temptation. What is temptation? How does it work? How do we tackle it? How do we handle it? And then two of the most well-known verses in all the Bible are found here in 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 13 that we'll study next week, which says, There is therefore no, now no temptation which is taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Whew. Glad I got that out. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So those are two very popular verses. We'll be looking at those over the next several weeks, specifically verse 13 next week. But what's the goal of the next couple of weeks within this series, this mini-series on temptation as we're going through 1 Corinthians? It's this. It's to better understand the nature of temptation and how we face it and experience the victory that is already ours through it. So how do we better understand this issue of temptation? And the reason that this is so important, and the reason that temptation is such a difficult thing is because of this little quote. I found this quote this week. Opportunity may knock only once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. How many of you can identify with that? Raise your hand. Yes, all of us can. It seems like the great opportunities of life are only there for a moment, but the temptations of life lean on the doorbell, and I heard one guy say it like this, or kick the door down. How many of you would also say that temptation likes to kick the door down, not only knock? Yeah. So uh, opportunity, it's there, and if you miss it, it most likely won't uh, catch you again. But temptation, it likes to linger, and you rarely have to worry about missing that. It's always showing up. And so over the next two weeks, we're gonna look at both the bad news about temptation this week and the good news about temptation next week. So let's read this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. If you don't have a copy of scripture, share with a friend or pull it up on, on, the, on, on Google. You can Google this passage here, and we'll be, begin reading in verse 1. First Corinthians 10, verse 1, the Bible says this. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. <laughs> I like how Paul says that. I would not that you should be ignorant. Um, Paul is getting a little bit tongue-in-cheek here and saying, Corinthians, you pride yourself on knowing a ton, but you're still ignorant on this matter. And you know what the truth is for us, especially those who have grown up in church? It's easy for us to assume that because we have a lot of Bible information, we've got a lot of Bible transformation. But you know what? I can tell you that's not the case. I know a lot about the Bible, but I'm still being transformed by God's grace on a daily basis. And and for some, uh, the the big danger is to to not allow that knowledge to do what? To puff up. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. And so Paul kind of starts tongue-in-cheek here by saying, Now, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. what What does he educate them about? He says, How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, we're going to talk about what this means, because this is very um, allegorical. It's, it's actually looking back into a story from Israel's history, the nation of Israel And something that God did and something that the nation did very specifically. But notice that he lays out this intro of kind of a summary of Israel's history in the wilderness as they were trying to follow Moses from Egypt to the Promised Land. That's what Paul's summarizing here. And look at verse 5. But. So Paul says, here's what I want you to know. Historical summary of the nation of Israel and their wilderness wanderings and what happened to them. And then he says, but... With many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture and as we read these first few verses, we're going to read the others here in a little bit, let's stop here at the end of these first few verses and give some context for chapter 10. Chapter 10 starts with the word, moreover. Look back at verse 1. It says, moreover, and maybe your translation says, but, or therefore, but it says, moreover here. And the word, moreover, is a connective word. What it's doing is it's connecting the thoughts from chapters 8 and chapters 9 that we've already studied. And so for those messages, you'll need to go back and check those out. So chapters 8 through 10 sits together as a section. This section is all about the freedoms that we have in Christ. Before Christ came as you think back into Israel's history, there were exact rules for what you did and what you did not do. In fact, there were 613 rules, 613 laws. And so there was very little uh, mystery as to what you should and shouldn't do. It was all spelled out down to dietary choices, even down, catch this, even down to whether you could wear 100% cotton or mixed like polyester cotton blend. Believe it or not, that's how the rules of the Old Testament were. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of a sudden you have this transition going on from Judaism to Jesus, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from laws that were meant to never save anybody. They were meant to, to merely convince people of their need for a savior, for a perfect law keeper who would come and keep the law perfectly. Jesus on our behalf would do that. And so, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of a sudden, we have more choices here, and we have more freedoms, and the law has been done away with. We have a new law called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of the new covenant, which is simple, the law of faith and love. And oh yeah, in loving one another, you keep the law anyway, Romans 13, 10. Look it up, it's a good verse. And so... You have this transition. And so what Paul is doing here is he's addressing freedoms that certain Christians might enjoy, but others might not. So in chapter 8, Paul talks about meat sacrificed to idols. And, you, and, and, and maybe you didn't grow up in church, so this is somewhat new. But basically the Jews and Gentiles were arguing over whether you should eat meat that had been offered to an idol, but they didn't burn it, they didn't sacrifice it. And so, you know, like a good T-bone steak was on sale for half price because it had been through this ritual or had been through this uh, temple ceremony to a pagan god. And there were some Christians that said, that idol's not real, meat's meat, and it's a good deal, it's on sale. I'm going to buy that steak and eat it. But you had some Christians who had been uh, rescued out of paganism, and their conscience was very sensitive towards anything connected to those old idols and that old system. And so what Paul's doing is, is he's addressing Christian freedoms here in these chapters. And he's saying, listen, as a Christian, you're free to eat that meat. But if you have a brother or sister in Christ, and it's going to, by them seeing you do that, it's going to lead them back into pagan idol worship, then you shouldn't do it. Don't do it. Out of the sake of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, don't do it. And then in chapter 9, uh, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so here's some notes on these two chapter summaries. So 1 Corinthians 8 says, can we eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol? Well, yes and no. Yes, eat it. That idol doesn't exist. Use your freedom in Christ. But no, if that would cause another person to sin. Now, there's a lot of details in and around that. and We studied into that in 1 Corinthians 8. We won't go back into it right now. But it's really a yes and a no answer. And that's really the way it should be because we have the Spirit leading us from the inside out, don't we? And he gives us wisdom as we make these choices. Now in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul continues this topic of Christian freedom, but he talks about it in a little bit of a different vein. He talks about his own freedoms, his freedom to not have to work, but to gain his support from the churches that he's planted. But he said... Because some of you, that would be a hindrance to the gospel. I'm going to choose to keep being a secular tent maker. I'm going to do that for my living, and I'm not going to have you support me. And so Paul said, I'm going to sacrifice this freedom if it hinders the gospel. You know, that's the reason why we support missionaries today. We don't want them to go into a country or into a city, see Christians saved, and then the very next thing they turn around and say, oh yeah, and we need you to support us and give them the offering this Sunday. Because see, can't you imagine that if a new Christian gets saved... Um, and then you start telling them about how they should give, they're going to equate, oh, maybe you just got me saved because you want my money. Don't, do you see how the struggle could be there? For instance, with Candace this week, as we were just lavishing love, and I love how you said it, we swarmed you with love, didn't we? Amen. It was, it was great. And I said several times to Candace and she'll, she will back this up. I said, Candice, we are not doing this with any kind of pressure for you to have to come to our church. That is not the goal here. We are not sharing Jesus and his love with you because we want you to uh, feel obligated to pay us back. No, these are gifts lavished on you because of God and his grace. There's no payoff you got to deal with. Amen? And so that is the truth. That is the truth. And so for Paul... He he didn't want to get people saved and then right around, turn around and say, oh, and by the way, you need to give an offering. You need to become a part of my, my church. And so Paul wanted to take that struggle away. And so for the purpose of freedoms, it was all about the gospel. It was all about the gospel. So withhold your freedoms if it advances the gospel. Use your freedoms if it advances the gospel. The whole key is the gospel. And so in the second half of chapter 10, Paul's going to circle back around to the meat sacrifice to idols he was talking about in chapter 8. But in the first half of chapter 10, he's going to take a detour, it seems. You know, preachers, they like to take detours, don't they? It's like they like to chase those divine little rabbit trails. So Paul does the same thing. I'm so thankful that Paul took detours in his sermons. This was really a sermon, by the way, that Paul would have preached if he could have been there at Corinth. And so Paul takes a little detour and he talks about temptation. What does temptation have to do with this larger topic of Christian liberty, freedoms, uh, you know, what's the the connection there? Well, the connection is this. Freedoms in Christ can easily lead to either two extremes, either legalism or license. The reason that we're going to talk about temptation this morning is because Paul wants to remind the Corinthians... That Christian freedom is a great gift, but it's also a great responsibility. And because we are free in Christ, we are free to follow after Him through the working of His Spirit in our life. He motivates us. He works through others. He he motivates us to follow after Him. But the dangers on both sides of the road are these ditches called legalism and license. What is a legalist? It's a it's a person, and it can even be a Christian who, yes, they might say, Well, I know you're not justified by the law for salvation, but you need a little bit of the law for your sanctification. If you think that, you need to write down this passage of scripture and study it. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul is very clear that the Galatians' problem wasn't just legalism from a justification perspective, a salvation perspective. They also thought that circumcision and keeping of certain laws made them more holy than the Gentiles. So you need to read that passage. It's very clear. And I'm not sure why that's so confusing today. So a legalist could be either a non-Christian or a Christian who tends to think that living by a lot of rules that God doesn't require makes them more acceptable to God. And so... A legalist can think that following their list of rules makes them more acceptable and approved by God than someone who doesn't. So, for instance, this morning, you just might be struggling with legalistic tendencies. If you walked into church with a tie on and someone else didn't, you think, Oh, God's going to hear my prayers better this morning because I was wearing a tie. And this other guy, yeah, pray for brother so-and-so, he wasn't. Right. I mean, if that's even our... You know what? As I actually reach people with the gospel out in our community, they don't ask me those kinds of secondary and tertiary questions. They, they don't ask those kinds. Of, they just want to know that God is real and that, and, that, and that the church is really showing the love of Jesus. And, and so a legalist gets so hung up and so, for instance, and so for instance, you might just be struggling with this if you walked in the church this morning and the first thing you looked at was what someone else was wearing rather than looking at what we were singing about. I don't know. Just going to say it. If the truth hurts, you know what? I think all of us struggle with this sometimes, don't we? And so a legalist can think that and they tend to be very condemning towards those who don't follow their list of rules as they do. And so Are there things that are right and wrong? Sure. Don't commit fornication. Love one another. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. And all that's wrapped up in the new covenant if you love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor not only as yourself, but even better than that, as you love your neighbor as Jesus has loved you unconditionally. And so with Christian freedoms, there can be that danger. On the other side, the danger can be license. Hey, I'm free in Christ. Live it up, baby. Do what you want. Christians who think this, they think that because they're free in Christ, they can do anything they want. And this would have been more the problem for Corinth. And so Paul brings up this issue of temptation because he wants them to see that while freedom is a great gift, it's also a great responsibility. And church, that's the truth for us. You know, it would be easy as a pastor to come in here and set up a list of laws that every member of the church has to live by. That would be easy. Here's the standard, you either meet it or you don't, you're out of here. But you know what? That's not how the Spirit works. That's not how the Spirit moves. The Spirit understands that every person in this room is at a different stage of growth in their Christian life. And the Spirit wants to bring them along. This this should be a spiritual greenhouse. We have plants at all different stages of growth here. And part of that growth is there is a freedom there as God puts a little bit more water on one than another, a little bit more light here, a little bit more fertilizer there. And so the goal is that we all grow together into the temple that we were talking about earlier in that passage we read there in our worship service. And so what Paul's going to be saying here in this passage is this. Man, write this down. I don't think this is in your notes. But it says, Focused, spirit-led temperance or discipline is needed to avoid both of these sinful extremes, legalism and license. And so he's going to lay out here in this passage this discussion about temptation. And so just very quickly, here's the overview of this passage, and we're not going to look at that verse there, but that's a great verse that goes along with this idea of temperance and discipline. Uh, One of the fruits of the Spirit is discipline. It's self-control, Savior, spirit control, and temperance there in Galatians 5, 22, and 23. So here's an outline of the book. So Paul talks about here in this passage, verses 1 through 4, specific Jewish blessings of the nation of Israel. Then he talks about the judgment that the nation was given because of them giving into their temptation of unbelief. Then he talks about reasons for this judgment, the sins that they were involved in, and then some applications that we can draw from this from their judgment. So you can fill in these blanks as we go, or you can put them all right there. They're there for you. And then we have some subpoints under each one of these. So number one, the specific Jewish blessings. What were some of the blessings? And I want you to see how these parallel to our own life. This is going to be so great for us to see and be reminded of. What were some of the specific blessings that the nation of Israel had way back there in the Old Testament? Because that's what Paul's referring to here as he's preaching through this passage of scripture, talking about temptation. Well, number one, He says that the Jewish people received guidance by God himself. Guidance by God himself. Look back at verses 1 and 2. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, if you're not familiar with Old Testament stories of what happened with the nation of Israel, there was a really cool story in the Old Testament about how the nation of Israel was literally guided by this cloud in the sky. Y'all thought, y'all thought your GPS was cool. We, there was a spiritual GPS in the wilderness, and the nation of Israel were literally, all they were told to do was follow this pillar of cloud by day, and it was a pillar of fire by night so they could see it, and they were just to simply follow this. And that's what Paul's alluding to here. He's saying, look at all the Jewish blessings that the nation of Israel had. They were guided by God himself. You know what? All of us, I'm sure, can look back over this last week and see the providential hand of God guiding our lives. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we, church family? We've been guided by God himself. Number two, look at the second blessing here in this passage. Not only guidance by God himself, but deliverance by God himself. Look back at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, How that all our fathers were under the cloud, so this cloud was guiding them in the wilderness. Here's the second blessing. And all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses. Now, again, this sounds like weird wording. How were they baptized into Moses? All it means is is that Moses was their leader. Uh, He was leading about 2 million people through the wilderness. This cloud was leading them, and they got to a very difficult situation where the Egyptian armies had changed their mind about letting the nation of Israel go from their slavery in Egypt. And so they were chasing them. And the nation of Israel got backed up against the Red Sea, and God miraculously delivered the nation of Israel. He parted the Red Sea, and they walked over on dry land, and they were delivered from certain death from the nation of Egypt. All of us, I'm sure, could raise our hands this morning and share stories of how God has delivered them. Scott shared his story this morning of rescue. Candace shared her story this morning of rescue. All of us, I'm sure if we went, uh, if we run around this room, we would hear stories of how God delivered them. What a blessing. The nation of Israel had that. What's the third blessing they had? We see here that not only did they have guidance and deliverance, but they had, I love this word, everybody say it, sustenance. One, two, three, sustenance. That just sounds like one of those cool old English words. You know what that means? That means God fed them. Amen. Literally, God fed the nation of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, think about it. How would you feed? Hey, moms, how many of you get overwhelmed with the menu every day at your house feeding three or four kids? And I say three or four because my house has three children plus me. I'm a big kid, and I like to eat. And hey, we as husbands, we're so encouraging to our wives, aren't we? We come in from a long, hard day of work at the office, and we're like, hey, baby, what's for dinner? And she looks at you like, mm-hmm. Anyway, oh, and, and, and by the way, how many of y'all saw that ref post I made on Facebook of the female ref? Yeah, we have the first f- female ref in the NFL. She threw a flag from something that happened three years ago. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just kidding, ladies. I love you. Anyway, oh, I know. I'm going to pay for that one. But anyway, hey, Mom, imagine feeding 2 million people a day. Where would you get the food? Literally, here's what God did. And I don't know if you've ever heard this story. but Maybe this is new to you. God literally rained down food from heaven every night and in the morning when the nation of israel woke up from their tents they walked out and literally there was food on the ground happy meals from heaven i'm not sure in fact it was so new to them they didn't even know what to call it so they called it manna which literally means what is that i mean they didn't even know it was but it tasted i'm gonna tell you what it tasted like a crispy cream donut I'm, I'm serious, I think that's, what, it says it was sweet and it had this flavor of the coriander seed. I'm thinking it probably was a Krispy Kreme donut. Can you imagine? Kids, can you imagine every morning, teenagers, every morning, Krispy Kreme donuts? No, no, we're healthy. Right, I'm sure you're healthy. Anyway, sustenance from God himself. God was feeding them. What a blessing. And we'll, we can see that in our own life, can't we? That God feeds us daily, both physically but also spiritually says there in verses 3 and 4, and they did all eat that same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. So they were supplied. Their physical needs were taken care of. Their spiritual needs were taken care of. Look at all these blessings. Then finally, the final blessing they had in the wilderness was God was with them himself, the very presence of God himself. I can't imagine, as we think about our own life, How would we get through some of those wilderness experiences if we didn't have the very presence of God himself with us? Have you ever felt all alone? Have you ever felt all abandoned? You know what? In those moments when you feel alone, we take great confidence in the fact that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's right there with us. And look at who, specifically who, was in the wilderness with them. Look back at verse 4. And they did all drink that same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. This is so cool. And that rock was Christ. So Paul is giving further information here on the story because that wasn't in the Old Testament. They, They did not know that detail, but literally Christ was with them in the wilderness as they were making their way from slavery to freedom in the Promised Land. Now catch the picture there. The nation of Israel had been delivered from slavery and they were making their way to freedom in the promised land which signified victorious Christian living in their life. Now, we see all those blessings, but then we see that word in verse 5. And this is one of the bad buts in the Bible, a bad turn. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. What happened? Look at all those blessings that they had. Look at everything that God had done for them. What happened? It says that they were overthrown in the wilderness. Well, again, for sake of time, I'm not going to give you the whole history of the nation of Israel, but just suffice it to say that the nation of Israel had been led up to this point through the divine providence and the miraculous working of God. And so they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And now God was leading them back to the land that he had already thousands of years or hundreds of years ago promised to them. And we get to this point where it says they were overthrown in the wilderness. God was not well pleased. What happened? Well, in order to know that, he gets into the reasons for the judgment here. And so you can put this down in your notes and you can write these down quickly here. Reasons for judgment, verses 6 through 10. So what happened in the wilderness? Well, what happened is is they gave in to temptation. They gave into temptation, and really the source of their temptation was not believing the promise and the power of God. Do you know that the source of every sin that we do in our life is believing that God is not enough somewhere at the beginning stages of that temptation? A temptation starts not at the very specific act of the sin of whether you're going to do it or not. It actually starts way back, maybe several minutes, even several hours before when you're being tempted, and you're tempted to believe something that's not true about God. You see it right in the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The very first temptation was for Eve to believe that God wasn't good and he was holding out on her, that God was keeping something from her, so she needed to take it in her own strength, in her own time, in her own power. And so God lays out his, and I think God was heartbroken, of course, as as the heart of a father would be, as he sees his children making wrong choices. And sometimes the most loving thing that God can do is to allow his children to go their own way for a while, hopefully to bring them through that process so that they will truly learn the lesson. And so God, we see here in verse 6, notice what it says says they were overthrown the wilderness verse 6 now these things were written for our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as also they as they also lusted neither be ye idolaters as some of them were so what were the reasons for the judgment that God allowed into their life because of them giving into temptation number one we see that the first example of this or the first reason was idolatry See what it says there in verse uh, 7, neither be idolaters as, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Idolatry. What is idolatry? It's putting anyone or anything before God and worshiping it as your savior. We look for so many things in our life to be our saviors, don't we? We look for that job and that career to give us our true meaning and our identity, and if we can just and, and so we go to work, working our fingers to the bone, trying to make that all about our identity, or we make someone else our savior. And they're going to be the answer. They're the reason for my life. They're my inspiration. I think there's an 80 song about that. But Anyway, they're, they're, so, so they make that their, their, their source of satisfaction. An idol is anything that seeks to try to save you, rescue you, satisfy you, that's not God. And so the nation of Israel made a golden... I mean, think about it. The nation of Israel had just seen God deliver them miraculously. And yet they made a golden calf and worshipped it rather than God. And so the reasons for their judgment, number one, idolatry. Number two, sexual immorality. Look at verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. So God says here, you know, the nation of Israel, they gave into temptation and those consequences were pain, sorrow, and ruin. Hey guys, do you know that sin is never a good idea? It's not. Sin promises so much. It looks so glittery. It looks so awesome. And then you do it and you're like... This didn't satisfy. This didn't fill the need that I truly had. And so the nation of Israel got involved in sexual immorality. And you might wonder, where's that story? It's actually found in Numbers 24 if you want to read it sometime. Uh, Paul is hearkening back to that story in Numbers 24. Um, And so these first two sins, you're like, yeah, I can see why God judged them. I can see why God allowed these consequences of sin to pile up in their life. And we're like, oh, pastor, I don't don't bow down to a wooden idol. I'm not involved in, you know, sexually explicit things. Look at the next two things. The third reason that God allowed these consequences into their life and it brought judgment upon them was because of their complaining. Look at verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also were tempted and were destroyed of serpents. You might say, which story is Paul alluding back to here about the nation of Israel? Why did they give in to the temptation to complain? Well, write down in your notes, Numbers 21, verses 6 through 9, and let's just read it real quick. It says, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Look at that. You might say, oh, well, I don't speak against God. Do you speak against God's leadership? Because look look at what happened because doesn't doesn't the New Testament say that if you resist the authority, you resist God the powers that be are ordained of God God can take care of that so the people spake against God and against Moses wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, they were complaining oh you just brought us up here in the wilderness, Moses, to die there's no bread, neither is there any water and our soul loatheth, catch this they were actually ticked off that God was raining Krispy Kreme donuts for them every morning which tells me that, you know what happens with the blessings of God in our lives? Many times we get what? An entitlement attitude. You know what I think about, when I think about American Christianity? uh, Christianity, Entitlement attitude. We got so much. God's been so good to our land. And if we're not careful, hey, yeah, we might not be idolaters. We might not be involved in sexually explicit things, although hmm, a lot of us struggle with all those things, don't we? We just think, oh, well, my idolatry isn't to a physical idol, but yet we've got an idol. Huh. I won't step on toes, but many of us got idols on Saturday. Yeah. Woo! You know how you got an idol on Saturday? If you give it more love, time, and affection than you do God. Whoa. Ow, my toe just hurt. That's true. So, but, 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 but again, we might say, okay, I passed the idol test. I passed the sexual morality test. But what about the complaining test? So we see that they were complaining. They were complaining against the Krispy Kreme donuts falling from heaven. How in the world? And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Whoa, God takes a complaining heart, a complaining attitude serious, doesn't he? Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, a brass serpent, set it on the pole, and it shall come to pass, every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And folks, I wish I had time, but write down John 3, verses 15 and 16, the most famous verse in all the Bible, John three sixteen, verse 15 alludes back to this story of how Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness. And you know what that was a picture of? It was a picture of how Jesus would be raised up on a pole, on a cross for you and for me. And he would become the very curse. He would be cursed for us. He would become sin for us so that we could look to him and live. You know what will fix a complaining heart and a complaining attitude? Getting back to the cross seeing Jesus high and lift up and realizing that a lot of the things that we allow to create a complaining spirit in our life aren't all that important hey who do we reach out to with the gospel this week how do we make a difference in someone's life this week as we were talking about last week that is what is vital and then allow the spirit of God to to take on that transformation process in others lives complaining and then finally grumbling grumbling You might say, now how's that different, pastor, than complaining? Well, complaining is more a sense of individual, one-on-one, you're complaining. You know what grumbling is? It's corporate. It's somebody who's got a gripe who finds somebody else who's got a gripe, and they start grumbling. Um, How many of you have ever heard audience... uh, like sound effects. So, so, like, you can tell the overall spirit of an audience by listening to, like, conversation, kind of the chatter before, a, before an event. You can tell if it's going to be an exciting event because there's a lot of excited chatter. Or you can tell if it's going to be a very discouraging event, like, say, maybe a funeral. It's very quiet. It's very hushed, whisper. Imagine if you were to play an audiophile of the nation of Israel grumbling. What would it sound like? Well, some of y'all know because your parents of teenagers. I'm, I'm sorry, teenagers. I love you. Your parents have, or, or some of you know because your spouse grumbled. Uh, you know, <laughs> or you get the holy huddle. <laughs> I know some of y'all like that. Grumbling. Look at verse 10. It says, Neither murmur. I like that word, murmur. There's certain words, and I think the English name for this is onomatopoeia how many of you like that word onomatopoeia it's a word that sounds like the word for instance uh ring um um um, bark meow the word meow sounds like a meow so that's what an onomatopoeia is and so the word murmur is literally that same idea it's an onomatopoeia it sounds like the the thing that it is grumbling this is actually referring, this temptation and sin that they were committing refers back to a story in Numbers 14 in Numbers 14 where it says and the Lord spake unto Moses said in Aaron saying how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me saying to them as I truly live saith the Lord as ye have spoken in my ear so will I do to you now this is strong language I'm so thankful that God was in the midst of revealing who he was, and this wasn't the end of the story. And ultimately, we see that Jesus took our judgment for us on the cross. But the principle remains that giving in to temptation does cause consequences in our life. It's never a good choice. And notice, it says, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. You know what happened to the nation of Israel after their idolatry, after their sexual immorality, after their complaining, and after their murmuring? You know what finally happened? because they didn't want what God had provided for them in the land of promise because they were fearful, because they were unbelieving God allowed them to have what they wanted and they died in the wilderness they died for 38 years they wandered until that generation died off what's the principle here? what's the application? we invite our own ruin when we choose to give in to temptation snare consequences are hard for the person who refuses to trust God and believe that he is enough do we understand that this morning I hope we do I hope we see what God is telling us here why he is taking this detour to talk about temptation because giving into temptation is never a good idea it invites ruin into our life it invites consequences that are hard to and what's so amazing to me is how we give into temptation, and then we blame God when we get what we sowed. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? I mean, isn't it true that sometimes, I mean, and honestly, there's been times in my life where I've just literally had to say, all right, God, I'm not going to blame you for this. And I know there's a lot of things that, and we, we live in, there's a, that's a whole different message. We live in a warfare world where Satan, the enemy, is trying to attack us to get us to believe things that aren't true about God. And sometimes he causes things. He's the destroyer of life. God is the author and giver of life and the sustainer of life. But look at the consequences. Was it worth it? It wasn't worth it for the nation of Israel, and it's not worth it for us. It's never a good choice to give into temptation snare because it will invite our own ruin if we give into it. And so we see in verse 11 of this passage, it says, Now all these things... So Paul kind of wraps up again this little story of talking about the nation of Israel and their wandering in the wilderness and how they gave into temptation. And he says, These were for us in samples, and they are written for our warning or our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So what are the applications from their judgment. Okay, we've seen all this today. We've seen the blessings that they had. We've seen why the judgment came, why they, won- why they wandered in the wilderness. It was ultimately because of their unbelief, not believing that God was enough and not believing in his promises and power. So we come to this application. Number one, read the Bible for transformation, not just information. Notice Paul says here, these things were written for our learning. Verse 11, written for our admonition. Many times, if we're not careful, we come to church and we hear the message that says, you got to read your Bible more, and that's a good habit. But the danger is, is we only read our Bible for information and not transformation. Do you know who, who, who knew the Bible the best in the first century, in the time of Jesus? The Pharisees. They knew their Bible backwards and forwards. They could quote, many of the Pharisees could quote the entire first five books of the Old Testament from memory. Question. Did they have information or did they have transformation? They only had information because they missed the very author of Scripture standing in front of them and they killed him. You know, it's possible for us if we've grown up in church, if you're a church person and you've grown up with the great blessings of God around you, the danger is, is we know a lot about God, but we're not being transformed by God. So that's the first application. The second application is simply this. Know that you are not above temptation. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. None of us in this room are above temptation. Now, this all sounds negative, and this is the bad news. The bad news is, look, you can have all these blessings around you. You can have guidance from God, deliverance from God, sustenance from God, the very presence of God, and you can still choose to go your own way and get involved in all these things, and that's going to bring A whole list of consequences. And guys, let's not be tempted by Satan that when we get into those situations, we give in to temptation, and then the consequences come, that we start blaming God because the law of sowing and reaping is there. But what are some applications? What are some wrap-up thoughts here in this passage? Well, number one, the first thing is amazing spiritual experiences don't automatically result in obedient choices. Look at the nation of Israel. They had amazing spiritual experiences here. They saw God do many miraculous things, but just because they saw all that, just because they were a part of all those things, didn't automatically mean that they followed God by faith, which tells me that evidence is, is more evidence isn't going to help your faith. You either believe God or you don't. The nation of Israel had a lot of evidence and reason to believe God. I mean, can you imagine if God parted an entire sea so that you could walk over on dry land? Why would you doubt God when you got to the door of the promised land and there were giants in the promised land and enemies that you're going to have to fight? God's got that. So I think sometimes in our spiritual world today and in church world, we're looking for the next amazing spiritual experience. But just keep in mind that that doesn't equate to an obedient choice. Number two, while obedience might bring about the realization of God's blessings, it is ultimately always a gift of his limitless grace. Listen, if you obey, you're going to realize the blessings of God that are already there a lot better than a person who's not because they're inviting consequence into their life because of sinful choices. But even those blessings, they're not there because you earned them. They're there because God is showering them upon you because of his grace. You see, God reigns on the just and the unjust. He sends his blessing of rain on both the just and the unjust. God is constantly drawing people to himself. You might be here today, and God is drawing you to himself. Have you ever trusted Christ? Have you ever seen the finished work of Jesus for you on that cross? Finally, the reason we sin is because we trade what we need most for what we want in the moment. Isn't that the ultimate reason why we give in to temptation? And let's just be honest. The reason we give in to temptation is because in that moment, we want it. I want it. And why do we say we want it? Because we believe we need it. Because we believe it satisfies us more than who? More than God. More than Jesus. If all you have is Jesus and nothing else, then you have everything you will ever need. I want to finish with a passage of Scripture here because it's important. As you read this passage, as you read how God dealt with an Old Testament story with the nation of Israel, and as you read it here in 1 Corinthians, it's important that we show you that the heart of God wasn't to sadistically or maniacally kill the nation of Israel. That wasn't God's heart. His heart was always for them to turn. One of the greatest passages in the Old Testament that gives us a glimpse of what Jesus would fulfill for us in the New our transgressions from us I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to come and get ready and lead us in a time of worship with that final song that we sang this morning the holy heart was broken and we're going to stand here in just a moment and have a time of worship but before we do that I want you to read this verse with me out loud, everyone out loud together ready, one, two, three as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us Have you trusted in the finished work of Jesus for your salvation on the cross?